Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. <coughs> in him you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. There's a wonderful passage in Colossians. And I really think that whoever we are this evening, this is going to be a very helpful and uh, strengthening, a challenging passage for us. It's all about what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? And what does it take to grow as a Christian? It's been wonderful um, to hear of God's work in your life, um, Feifei. The great change that takes place when a person puts their trust in Jesus. And this passage really describes that. It describes what's going on deep down, spiritually, when a person puts their trust in Christ and becomes a Christian. So I really hope that you'll be encouraged by the way that this passage um, talks about what you have talked about. And it may be that there are people here who are in the position that Faye Faye was in, investigating, looking into Christian things. Maybe you've been dragged along tonight like she was at first and you're trying to work out whether or not it's true. This very helpful passage is it very simply describes what it actually means to be a Christian. And for all of us, I guess we think of somebody starting out in the Christian life, you look down the years ahead, what will it mean to live a fruitful Christian life, to grow as a Christian, to press on to maturity, It's all very well making a start. How should we go on? And for most of us here who are Christians, that's really the question that we want an answer for as we look at this passage. What does it mean? How do we grow? We long to grow, but how? We've been seeing, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, that that's what this letter is really addressing. There were various um, new teachings in this little town of Colossae and this little church that had been planted there. People had started the Christian life But how are they to carry on these different offers of more, different versions of what it looks like to grow and make progress were being put forward. And Paul writes to help them, to show them what is real and true and what is false and harmful. As we come to this passage, if you've not been here, this is a great passage for you because really verses 6 and 7, the very start of what Sam read, sums up pretty much the whole of the letter. So then... Just as you received 
Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. If you read on, you can see verse 8 there, down to verse 10, he, he then goes on to the negative side. He warns them not to be taken in by false teaching. But verses 6 and 7 there are the positive message of the letter. If someone was to ask you, what's Colossians all about? Verse 6 is the answer. As you received Christ as Lord, as you made a start and put your trust in him, that's how you carry on, by living in him. And there are, there are three things, three steps or points that I want to pull out of this passage for us this evening, and I think, I trust that whoever we are, these will really speak to us. So first of all, what does it mean to be a Christian? Paul answers that by saying that what it means to be a Christian is a man or woman in Christ. In Christ. I wonder if you knew that. The New Testament very, very seldom talks about somebody being a Christian. That's how we tend to talk about it. But the Bible tends to talk about a man or woman who is in Christ. And you can see that in the passage if you have a look at it. It's only short, but I, I, I think there are six or seven times Paul says, in Christ, in him, with him, in him. That is what the Christian life is. That is what it means to be a Christian. It means being joined with Jesus. That's the good news. That's the offer of the gospel. That as we put our trust in Jesus, we are joined with him. It's a bit like a marriage, where what do we bring to the marriage? Well, we bring our, our sins, and he pays for them, because we're joined with him. His wealth becomes ours. His righteousness is credited into our account, if you like. And we're set free. We're forgiven. He, we bring our sins. He brings all his righteous riches and perfection. And we are joined with him. We get to share his position as the Son of God, acceptable in God's sight. It's an old illustration, but you can think about it like this. This piece of paper... It goes in the Bible, in the Bible. And now, wherever the Bible goes, the piece of paper also goes, because it is in the book. I could put it on the table, and so is, so is the paper, because it is in the book. I could throw it in there, that would be a bad idea. And unfortunately, the paper would go too. I could put it in a parcel and post it down to Cheam, and the piece of paper would go with it, because it is included in the book. Well, that is what it means to be a Christian. It means a man or woman who is in Christ, joined with him, in him, as we put our trust in him. We are included in Christ. And the particular things that Paul is talking about here is that we, we, we share in the experiences of Christ in, first of all, his crucifixion. We died in him, remember? He dies, we die in him. And then he was raised. And as he was raised, so are we because we're in him. We share in his death and in his resurrection. If he was crucified, so were we. If he was raised, so were we. If he is now acceptable to God the Father to stand in his holy presence, so are we. If he will reign forever in his glory, so will we. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. It means somebody who is in Christ. Which means... If you're somebody here investigating, very new to Christian things, that being a Christian is not a whole load of other things. It's not a person who tries to live a good life. It's not a person who was born in a Christian family. 
is not a person who goes to church. A Christian, it's very personal, a Christian is somebody who has been joined with Jesus, who has put their trust in him and, in, and has therefore been included in Christ. It's like a marriage being joined with another person. And so you can't be sort of a Christian. You either are or you aren't. You can't be sometimes a Christian. You either are or you aren't. You're either in him, joined with him, or not. All of which means, if you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, if that's your position, then Jesus is the one you need to think about. There are all sorts of questions that you might have, you might want to ask about the Bible, about all sorts of things. But the key question, if you're looking into Christian things, is what do I think of Jesus? Will I put my trust in him? And am I willing, do I see my need to be joined with him? Is he the sort of person that I want to get on board with? That's the key question. As you look at his life, the things he did, the things he said, try to work out who he is, what kind of man is he? That's the key idea. And, for those of us who are already Christians, this idea of being in Christ, as well as being the key to starting the Christian life, is also the key to continuing and growing in the Christian life. We long to make progress, don't we, spiritually, but how? Well, what Paul says, and this is really the main thing in this passage, is he's saying that the key to growing is that we understand and we live out this reality that we are joined with Jesus in him. We've been thinking, and it's, it's especially strong here in, in chapter 2, about some of the wrong ideas that were being put forward in Colossae about how to move to fullness as a Christian. Paul is advising them positively about how to grow, but he's also kind of heading off some wrong teaching that they had maybe heard. And there are two things. I think it'll be clearer if I just show you them. The, um, so in the first bit, in verses 11 and 12, there seems to be some idea in Colossae that harshness with the body is the way to grow. If you want to be really holy, then you need to get the body under control, you need to leave behind your old life. And it's a bit confusing, but it seems like some of the people there were saying that as a sign of that, as the mark of that, you should be circumcised as a way of sort of leaving behind, very visibly, uh, very painfully, your old way of life. That's the first wrong idea that Paul is taking on. We'll think a bit more about that in a, in a moment. And then if you look at the, the next paragraph there, verses 13 to 15, Paul talks, in quite a strange way, maybe, about the spiritual forces and powers, Satan and the demons, and the triumph that Jesus has over them. And it's something, actually, that he's picked up a bit on in the letter already. And just reading behind what he says here, it seems, again, that another version of, of how to make progress in the spiritual life that was being offered in Colossae was about special prayers, maybe, or something that would save you, that would um, save you from the power of these spiritual forces of evil. So just as we start out, those are the two wrong views of, of growth or, or more that Paul is addressing here. And the way that he addresses them, and the positive vision for growth that he puts forward in contrast to them, is all bound up with this idea that a Christian is someone who is in Christ. Let's try and look at the two of them. First of all, Paul says that in Christ we have died to sin and risen to a new life. 
in Christ, we have died to sin and risen again to new life. I hope if you're a Christian that you want to live a new life, you want to live like Jesus. You see how he lived in the Gospels, that he was steady and pure and true, that he was loving and self-controlled. And he taught his followers also to live like that, to forgive, not to take revenge, to be loving, not malicious, to be truthful, not sneaky. We long to live like that. We're very um, conscious, aren't we, that we, we fail, we fall short of his standards, and we fall short of our own standards often. And it's, it's a painful thing, it's a thing that we regret. We long to make progress, we long to leave the old life of sin behind. But how do we do it? It seems so tenacious. Sin clings to us so closely. And we understand, therefore, how the Christians in um, Colossae would have been feeling. They long to make progress in holiness. And these new teachers are saying, well, then the thing you need to do is to make a, a break with the old life of your flesh, your sinful body. You need to be harsh with your body. That comes really at the end of chapter 2 in verse 23. And then it's marked here in our passage by this issue of circumcision. They're saying you need to make a break with the old life. And that's how you'll make progress, leaving sin behind and growing in holiness. But what Paul says here is, well, no. There has been a break with the old life. There has been a new start for you. But it doesn't come from anything that you do, any harshness with the body. It certainly doesn't come from being circumcised. It comes from the fact that you are in Jesus and in him you died and in him you rose again. Um, if some of us here were possibly able to live an interesting enough life, somebody might write a biography about you. And if your life was really, really interesting, it might run to two volumes. I um, brought with me something from myself. It's the biography of Harold Macmillan, who was the Prime Minister in the 50s and 60s. And um, if you really want to borrow it, I put a sign-up sheet at the back in case there's... Um, and volume one is him as a young man. You can see there um, from when he was born up to when he became Prime Minister. And then volume two it is when he, um, from when he was Prime Minister up to when he died in the 80s. So volume one... Volume 2. What Paul is saying here is that when we become a Christian, we're joined with Jesus, we, the, um, volume 1 is finished. We're crucified with Christ and the old life is gone. Volume 1, if I can put it like that, volume 1 is finished. There is a break with the old me. It's done. To stop me sinning, I had to die. And that's what happened in Christ. But that's not the end of the story, because volume two begins. As Christ was raised, so was I, in him, with him. And I begin a new life in Jesus. That's what we've been seeing in Colossians, isn't it? Christ in me, a new life, as his power works to change me. And so, have a look, please. These verses are not easy to get our heads around, but they're worth the work. Verses 11 and 12. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of your sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. 
we've had a wonderful symbol of that this evening. Really, a, um, couldn't have come on a better evening in terms of the passage that we go down in, as we, did, as we um, crucified with Christ, we die in him, with him, and then up into a new life, born again. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so we don't need strictness and, and that kind of rules to suppress our um, sinful bodies and to make a break with the past. We don't need circumcision. But hang on, because none of, I guess, I'm presuming, nobody here was really thinking that that would be a great way to make progress in the fight against sin. This harshness with the body. Is this really something that we're hearing about? Is this something that would attract us? Well, maybe not in exactly the same form as they found it. But you don't have to look far in the Christian church, around the Christian church, to see examples of this. And in, in Christian history, Christians being harsh with the body, Christians walking on pilgrimages with no shoes on, or foregoing certain kinds of food for a period of time, or staying up all night, and that sort of thing. There is, I think there is an idea in our Christian culture that harshness with the body is a way to grow. But Paul is saying, no, that's not right. There is a departure, there is a cutting off of the old you and a start of the new, but it's not that. It comes as we focus on our union with Jesus, as we understand that we're in him and we learn to live out that experience more and more, sorry, that fact more and more and more in our experience. Growing as a Christian means knowing more and more deeply that because we're joined with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection, that the old life is finished and we have a new life in Christ. So when temptation comes knocking at the door for the Christian, we need to recall the fact that because we're joined with Jesus, we died and have risen again with him. So we say to sin, I'm sorry, that's, not, that's just not me anymore. All that volume one stuff, it's over. This temptation that you're offering me, whether it's pride or greed or self-reliance, I know that the old me loved all of that stuff, but he's not here anymore, haven't you heard? He died. I'm a new person. I live life in Jesus now with his power. And it says we learn to take on board the reality of what it means to be in Christ. It says we live that out more and more in our experience and pray that in day by day. We will find that the new life of Christ is seen in our lives as his power, his Holy Spirit works within us. That's what we saw last week, isn't it? How I put it. Christ in me, like the hand inside the glove. And we find that we really do make progress not by being harsh with our bodies and strict and militant and all, all that sort of stuff, but by focusing on this fact that we are united with Christ. That's the first way that Paul develops this, to, to show us the way forward. It's not by religiosity and strictness with the body, but by focusing on our union with Christ. And then the second thing he says is even more good news. Looking at verses 13 to 15, Paul says that in Christ we are fully forgiven and rescued from evil. In Christ we are fully forgiven 
and rescued from evil. The, um, the Bible speaks very openly, unashamedly, about personal forces of spiritual evil, which are real in the world, as real as the personal forces of spiritual good, who is God and his angels. Satan is real, and the, devil, uh, um, and the Bible speaks about him a lot. His great aim is to separate us from God, to keep us from God. He wants us to crash and burn by separating us from God. And so their great weapon, these evil powers who oppose us, their great weapon is the record of our sins. The record of our sins. That's the great wedge that he can drive between us and God. Because he he shows us the record of our sins and he says, well, he says to us, you're not worthy to be friends with God. He, he won't accept someone like you. You'd better keep away. You shouldn't go to church. You shouldn't pray. You shouldn't read your Bible. You're, you're not worthy. You can't be friends with him. Look at what you've done. And he can say to God, you can't accept her. You can't accept him. Look at what he's done. Surely your justice must stand against him. And the trouble is, it's all true. The devil's absolutely right. But, look again please at what Paul says from verse 13. When you were dead, in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, he made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. My understanding is, although um, you will understand I haven't got personal experience, that if you've been up to no good and you end up in the courts, then there is, um, there's a thing called the charge on the indictment, and it's a kind of a charge sheet, and at the beginning of a criminal trial it gets read out um, with all the, all the things that you're meant to have done. And um, that's sort of what Paul is saying here. It's as if there is a, a, a sheet, a charge, an indictment against us that would keep us from God. And that's the prime weapon of the devil. That's what he will use to separate us from God forever. But, on the cross, Jesus takes that indictment, he takes it away, and he nails it to the cross. It's finished, it's done with. His blood, his death, has paid for every single item on there. All the things we've done, all the ways we've mistreated other people, even more than that, all the ways we've mistreated the Lord and ignored him and gone our own way in life, it's taken away, nailed to the cross, and paid for. And therefore we have nothing more to fear. We can be friends with God again because that's removed. And, and this is what Paul's really meaning, we have nothing more to fear from the powers of evil. They have been disarmed. There's nothing more they can say. There's nothing more they can do to keep us away from God. Martin Luther the great German Bible teacher, understood these ideas and he expressed them very powerfully. He once wrote this, When the devil throws your sins in your face, 
and declares that you deserve to die and be punished in hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve to die and be punished in hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. Just notice that at the end there. And where he is, there I shall be also. It all comes down to union with Jesus. Luther understood that. That if we are joined with the risen Jesus, the Jesus who triumphed over all his enemies through the cross and the resurrection, then we have nothing more to fear from them. And so, the key to spiritual progress is not learning special prayers to ward off the powers of evil. It's not overemphasizing the the spiritual arena and the battle and strongholds in the Christian life. That's not the way to progress. The way to progress in the Christian life, the way to plumb the depths of who we are as Christians is to focus on the fact that we are joined with the risen Jesus and learn to see ourselves secure in him, in Jesus, who stands in the presence of God, who has won the victory. We are safe in him. So then, where does this passage leave us? Well, it leaves us, I think, back with that summary in verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, not in some other way, that's not how you grow, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Have you received Christ Jesus as Lord? That's the first question. Have you received him as Lord? Have you put your trust in him, been joined with him by faith? And if so, are you continuing to live in him, to grow in him, thinking each day about the fact that you are joined with him and living that out in your experience, Christ in me. It's our aim in the week that lies ahead if we're Christians. It's our prayer for you, Feifei, that you would know what it means to be joined with Jesus more and more in your life. It's what we all want, isn't it, if we're Christians, to know the power of Christ in us, that we might live lives that are strong and steady and thankful in him. Let's pray. Ah, Father, we praise you for the wonderful truth, the surprising truth, that you would allow people like us to be joined, included in your Son. We praise you for Christ, for his willingness to have us, for all the riches he is willing to share with us of his grace and power, victory and righteousness. Lord, please help us to see ourselves this way, to view ourselves each day as those who are in Christ and to live that out. Help us to see that we have died. Help us to leave behind the things of the old life. And help us instead to live out volume two, that wonderful new life that Jesus has shown us and has called us to. Help us to do that 
this week we pray, and for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.